Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts online podcast, Disability And, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Colin Hambrook, editor of Disability Arts Online, chats with climate activist and artist Mike Faulkner about neurodiversity. This podcast contains strong language. Hello and welcome to the Disability And podcast. My name's Colin Hambrook and I have the pleasure to have interviewed Mike Faulkner. Mike started out as a graphic designer and in the early 1990s formed Defuse, an audiovisual collective who were seen as early pioneers of the VJ scene. His work has been shown internationally, including Prias Electronica in Linz, Mori Arts Centre in Tokyo and the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. He was invited as a visual artist to collaborate for a world tour with the musician Beck and has also performed with Scanner, Steve Reich and the LSO. In recent years, much of Diffuse's practice has focused on environmental issues, creating a series of films for Live Earth, still used by Al Gore today. Through his residency at iBeam in New York, he created Small Global, an interactive video installation about global interdependence, consumption and its environmental costs. In the podcast, Mike talks about his education, work years and becoming an artist, addressing how he came to embrace his lived experience of dyslexia and ADHD. I think it's important to go back to the beginning and almost see where I was. Like at school, you know, I was either really good at subjects or really bad. I was in the the top class and then I'd be demoted like by reading aloud you know I can't read very well aloud especially and um and I was dropped to the bottom class I remember my mother said I just don't get it you know you're top of your class and now you're the bottom what's happened you know I don't think I had any I don't think I had any trust in the system I don't think I worked in that system I don't think um I functioned in that system so I built you know my own opportunities and Looking back now, some things are actually really good, happened in my life which are really good, but I, at the time I just saw them as a sort of natural progression. Like my parents were divorced when I was young and I know my mother really wanted me to go to college. One of the reasons was she wanted maintenance from my father. So it was like I was going to college full stop and I was, and really my choices were woodwork or art, you know, so... I remember going and I wasn't, I didn't really care about it, to be honest, because I just knew I didn't, had no choice. And it's not like I didn't want to go. Yeah, so I went to college. I did an A-level foundation. Yeah, I remember I got a D at, at college for my course and I thought that was really bad. And I um, and I went to the, to the college and, and no one, and no one, only two other people got an E or something and the rest had failed. So It transformed from me being like thinking I got a terrible grade to actually being the only person. I don't think D's great, but you know it's better than better than nothing. So it was one of those scenarios, and and then I started this 
stupid course which they decided to cancel within about six weeks eight weeks and you know I just thought well that's a waste of time and I so I, I sort of left that course partly because my mum knew somebody who worked in the studio which did the Argus catalogue and I went to, to work there and they gave me so many skills actually there was photography there was there was artwork and it was just loads every single skill in terms of graphic design I learned and they sent me to college one day a week uh, and I was yeah so I mean that was a great education and I know I was really keen to go to college because my um, sister was at university and I just thought yeah I want to go and I want to escape from my small town. Mike then went on to talk about his early work experiences in England and the US, and how travel opened up the world with new perceptions. Oh, yeah, sort of jugging around a bit. I, I just remember applying for different jobs. I remember I remember applying for, to do the design packaging at Loctite Glue Factory, you know, glue the glue company. And I just remember thinking, this must be the most boring job in the world, you know, and it's like I'm actually trying to get this job. I probably didn't come across as a very good um, candidate in hindsight, but it's like, I think sometimes, I, you know, I look back and I see my daughter and I see opportunities and see the things and it's, it's different now, but there's still that bleakness ahead of them in a way where, you know, they're just underpaid, undervalued. I mean, I probably had more opportunities than probably my daughter has in a way. But uh, but it's, yeah, it's hard at that time of life, isn't it, to know what your life is. You're always constantly told this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to live your life and get a pension and do all that and do this. I mean, I did the total opposite. I, I basically went, I just basically went and worked on a summer camp. A friend of mine who'd been at university had gone on to a summer camp and told me, you know how brilliant it was like you just hang out with just do sport you just do the hang out in the mountains you just have a heart you just teach a few kids here and there and then you just have a great time but I I'm again I like actually he told me afterwards it was the same but I, I had this vision of this wilderness and this amazing thing but instead it was like um it was like a refugee camp really it was like uh it was like six I don't know 600 600 um students and there was like 250 counsellors and they were all English most of them I'd never been abroad I'd never well I'd been to Paris on a trip we, uh, with some friends on a boat and then this is the first time I've been on a plane and I was, I was, I was you know I suddenly went into Connecticut I was in the summer camp and then I, I looked on the map where all the other kids lived and some of them lived in California and, we, and I just drove over we, you could do these driveways so I drove to America California drove around, trailways, bus. And um, it was quite a revelation for me, really. I met other people who were then traveling on to Australia. I just suddenly realized the world was a lot bigger than, it just suddenly grew exponentially for me. I could see this world as this massive place. And I, it, it totally transformed me. Our conversation then turned to Mike's studies at university for a master's degree when he finally came to grips with a dyslexia diagnosis. Ten years ago, Sarah said to me and my partner, she said, you know, you should do a, um, a master's. And I, because I'd never, because I had that craving to do it, to, to be in that sort of world, you know, lots of my friends were professors or lecturers. And I sort of thought, 
yeah and I was actually teaching at um, Camberwell as well and I thought well it's probably a good idea that I sort of get some sort of qualification other other than A levels so they used my book actually as a as a as a way of not as an undergraduate to bypass that and I thought it was going to be really easy actually and and I think that's that Dunning-Kruger effect where you believe the less you know the more you the more confident you are and the more you know the less confident you get I did tick the box that said dyslexia and they said well it's going to take about six weeks to process and you have to be assessed and I thought well fine but then I then I went into this class and I just thought I, I, you know it was just reading these academic papers it was the course was an MRes and it was information environments and it was it was I mean it was the greatest course ever I have to say it's like it was amazing but it was a total yeah totally totally blue well it just I knew I mean I, I I opted to drop out almost immediately because I was I just didn't I just couldn't read the papers I just couldn't understand the language I couldn't do. I did the dyslexic assessment, and it was one of these classes that I just didn't understand. And and I talked to the assessor, and she said, she just gave me this thing. She said, "You just got to ask questions. You go if if you don't if you don't know, you just ask." Everyone else was writing stuff down, and I was like, and I said, I didn't understand that. Could you explain it? And he sort of started to explain something else. And I said, I don't understand that either. And then he was like, almost a bit like, oh, come on, you know. And then it's like, who else? Who understood? Come on, someone tell him. And it's like, and it just turned out the whole class, no one understood it, but were too scared to ask. And I was thinking, it just revealed where, where that point is where people don't ask questions because they just don't want to be appear stupid. I mean, I, I guess that's the only thing that's I, I'd say, which I, I find quite good about now it's like I can say I'm neurodivergent I don't understand that you know so I have an excuse to say that instead of feeling stupid or or feeling like I should know you know it's like now I know I don't have to know I can ask but I think I think that lesson applies to everybody though it's like you should be able to ask questions really it's like if you don't get it you shouldn't pretend you know but we are in a society where everybody pretends to know everything and you're judged on this yeah, again, Dunning-Kruger Dunning effect is like the thing I think sort of reveals it all, really. It's like the people that are most confident generally know the least, I think. Neurodivergence manifests in lots of different ways depending on the individual. The discussion moved on to talking about specifics of what it means to have a fast brain, comparing it to driving a car at top speed, but in reverse. So in a way, that's really how you can apply that to neurodivergency, where you you need people with an alternative points of view, you know, and and, and because, you know, I'm I'm thinking slightly different to you, it's like I it's it's like I'm, I'm coming up with different results. They're not always good, and they often they're bad, you know. But but sometimes they'll be really good, you know. They'll be totally like, how did you miss that sort of thing? So, and I think there's the other thing is the is how my brain works is it runs really fast like even now I'm thinking further down here we're going to talk about but it's all like and I want to spit those things out and then I get bored quickly and I move on but but I always think about um is how fast my I, my brain moves fast I know that like visually I'm I, when so when I got tested for my uh, dyslexia like I had a super high IQ I could 
um, but it is like, I, I, but I couldn't even read my own report. I didn't understand the report. That's, but basically, I, I'm visually, I'm off the spectrum, and it's like um, I can do. I remember always impressing my daughter when she was at nursery, no, primary school, when she was about five or six. Um, I could do Where's Wally in like literally five seconds. Literally, you could pull a page, and I, I did them for about six or seven pages in a row. It, most of it was luck, I have to say. But I don't look at a page, I scan, and I can pull out quotes out of books really well, but not read the book. You know, it's sort of like I can. I see shapes and patterns and, and I can totally just you know, pull them apart and find things. All my friends now, if I look back in terms of the past, they, there's neurodivergency around. They're quirky, you know, they're off, you know, they're oddball in a way. And I'm, and I'm always wondering, you know, in the past, I think now I know why I hang out with them because we're on the same wavelength. And it's like, even Stuart Crogs, you know, he's talking about some stuff and now he's, because I think in a way people will start to readdress stuff like he's always he's always losing things, you know, and, and I always thought I couldn't understand why he couldn't get things organized when he had all the skills and I didn't, as it were. Do you know what I mean? He had the he had the knowledge, he had the education, but why wasn't it working for him? But I knew how things worked because I I was sort of always doing things just by default or through my path of of. You know, because I think that's the thing. You have this system and you make it work. And if you don't know the system, you can't make it. Um, I feel like I'm driving up the roads. I'm the motorway. I'm going to say 80 because everyone drives at 80 when I do go on a motorway. Um, but um, uh, but basically, I'm actually driving and I'm driving, but I'm driving Ferrari, but I'm driving it in reverse. And that's a very complicated thing to appear normal, but totally wrong in every aspect. And people are going, well, why? You have Ferrari, you can go 120 miles an hour, can't you? But not in reverse. You know, it's hard enough just keeping up with everybody else. So there's, it is a hare and the tortoise in a way, isn't it? Like you just speed ahead and then you fall, you know, it's not falling asleep. It's more just falling for spiraling out into a direction that just doesn't work, you know. I, I often obsess on things and, and nothing comes of it. I've got lots of projects that I need to start or do. And then I, I, but I, and everything's moving forward slowly, you know, but COVID's been hard. Lots of lot, you know, things have been pushed back or done. So I feel, I feel quite frustrated because I've done quite a lot of work over the past four years and none of it's seen light of day. So it, it has effect on me really. In talking about neurodiversity, Ideas of how society needs grit came to the fore and how technology has changed our need for different ways of engaging. For me, they're, they're all joined together because I think the thing about computers, pre-computers, the idea to draw something straight and perfect was really difficult. You know, you, you know you, you'd have to manually do these things. You'd never get a straight line. But now the default is a straight line. So people would purposely bring in glitch or things just to make it interesting. And I think that sort of relates to society. Society, when it's perfect, is actually quite boring. And it's like it's like if the world is perfect, you end up with places like Singapore almost. Or you've almost got that happening in China where someone like Shanghai is like where it's just clean super clean on the surface that is and then you, everything's pushed out it's happening to london now as well it's where you have this sort of 
cleanliness to it where everyone thinks it's great and if you look at it it's quite hollow and it's quite lacking any grit our conversation moved on to talking about climate change i went on to ask mike about his thoughts on greta thunberg the climate change activist i think it's also because i was watching those documentaries and the film and I, and and I, my takeaway from it is i think it's like it's, it's like i could see push climate change aside, I could see her frustrations and her, her frustrations and her vision is, okay, the subject's climate change, but it's like her frustration how other people just don't get it. It's like, and I think this is because there's lots of it's down to our conditioning. Um, and really it's about, it's about seeing things differently. And it's like, you know, we have the information and she's that's really all she's saying look the information's there read it understand it and you know we have to do something about it really quickly i mean luckily she had a sort of you know parents who who are pretty connected and stuff so it, you know how many other gretas are out there that didn't get you know or didn't get the exposure you know so i mean uh, people always sort of slate them off going oh yeah it's all right for you if you've got that but actually thank god she's got some you know savvy parents mike went on to talk about his thoughts on the economy climate change and consumerism i mean i, I think that ties into the whole climate change thing is because you know we're told gdp is our measurement of of growth and the healthy economy when that actually is the most destructive like if you have um, an oil rig spill and you clean it up, your GDP goes up. If you, it, but if you actually give people a pay rise, your GDP goes down. You know, it's like it's by do it just by spending money pushes the GDP up. But if you actually spend it on proper things, it's, it, it goes down. You know, that's not really factoring in, in, in the planet and its resources. A few other writers have been key to Mike's work about climate change. George Marshall is one of many thinkers who have influenced him. Key is the difficulty in fully grasping some of the concepts that underlie what's happening and really understanding the impact of consumerism. George Marshall, he's done a book called Don't Even Think About It, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Ignore Climate Change. And basically he talks about this thing where we don't really... Um, we don't like the idea that we're the bad people, you know, nobody intentionally causes climate change, but our whole system is geared to this destruction. And it, it's um, basically people, people feel that they're doing these things like they're going on holiday for, you know, because they've been working hard or something. They don't then, and or driving the kids to school. They don't, or, you know, they don't really, sort of realize these actions are actually causing it and there's no one there to tell us they're causing it even though there is the news and everything to tell us there's no government infrastructure and this is really because we're we're geared towards consumption you know our economic growth is about basically infinite growth on a finite planet and that we're realizing is we're reaching that the, the end of the road very quickly it's like we you know we're in a pandemic you know it's it's like the whole idea that this is even slightly normal is just totally surreal and the idea that we might have an you know there's a strong possibility for having another one another pandemic in the next in the next 10 years is is extremely likely and it's like it's just you know we're not out of this one yet and 
we're we're never really going to be out of it. It's just going to drift along and sort of graduate away. But or it may come back with vengeance. We don't. We just don't know. But it's like the idea that we have to pretend everything's normal and carry on instead of saying, "What the fuck?" You know, the system has to change. I mean, the least that's happening in um in America, there is there isn't a, a reverse of direction. We're we're just carrying on with this carbon neutral bollocks. Really, it's just um you know it's 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 this sort of leaving everything till later you know you know because and I, you know i thought about this i think partly because people think it's 100 years away you know because because the measurements are made in 100 years they think 100 years is when it's is the problem but actually you know we might reach um 1.5 degrees by in the next 10 years and it's like that means it's the end of coral reefs you know that means they're gone you know it's like so somewhere like Australia should be um, promoting the barrier reef is come now before closing down sale. You know, that's what they should be saying. It's like, come to the reef now before it's all gone. But they don't want to, you know, no part of it. I mean, even I don't believe it sometimes. I just forget, you know, it's sort of like, because when because the subplot, if this was a film, it's like the classic film, isn't it? Everyone's carrying on as normal when the world's falling apart. And yeah, uh, uh, can people cope with it in a way? Um, you know, and I think this one, one and a half, two degrees thing is really hard to comprehend. You know, I still don't really get that four degrees minus is actually an ice age. I don't, you know, it doesn't really, I can't really, you know, because one degree, you know, it's, it's not, it's not much when you go outside, you know, but it's like, because it's average global and, you know, and it, it it's sort of, I still don't really grasp that one, to be honest. And I don't think many other people do either. Otherwise, you know, if we said it was a 50 degrees or something, people would then get a bit scary or something. But everything was one and a half degrees. If we pass that, it's the end of the world. And now it's, oh, it's two degrees now. And now you're going to possibly entertain three. And and they're already, we know it's one point. It's, it's something that's a 5% chance of, a, of, get re, of halting at 1.5 degrees and if we apparently if we stop everything like just cease to function like just like lockdown or something it would it would bring our odds up to 26 percent so we've got a 74 percent chance of of reaching 1.5 degrees very very soon so our odds yeah it's pretty you know it's, I'm, I'm sure it's like governments, I, you'd think they, the thing is, you. well, it's the powers. I mean, how do we get Brexit? How do we get all these things? You know, how do we get Trump? You know, it's like, it's it's quirky controls. It's, it's yeah. So, but, so yeah, getting back to the consumption thing, I think it's like, um, it's, it's even, you know, so everyone sees climate change as the problem. And, you know, people talking about buying electric cars, um, and buying our way you know out of our buying our way out of this out to fix it you know I, um it, and really it's like we should be looking at c consumption as the as the problem and climate change as as, as the outcome you know because it, it like for example if you said that all the oceans could be a perfect a carbon sink and could soak up all the carbon, would we still carry on with deforestation? Would we still carry on, you know, destroying the planet? We, we would, because there would be nothing to stop us. But even now, something's there to stop us, but we're not actually doing anything about it. We're sort of 
pretend we're, we're sort of twiddling around saying oh yeah carbon zero carbon neutral i mean i saw i saw outside um well, it's a fast food restaurant but sort of slightly um posh but basically they've got carbon neutral hamburger and then i looked at it a bit closer and it's basically about offsetting they're basically assess lots of this new um, stuff on based on future on future future inventions to sequester carbon and stuff and it just doesn't you know it's it's unproven you know it's just it's not gonna it's and it's also expensive you know really simple quick ways is it's just you know as greta says it's a simple problem you just stop fossil fuels i mean the other one as well for me is animal agriculture as well because that's the other driver as well but um but yeah, carbon, see, carbon neutral means that while some emissions are still being generated by a building process, these emissions are offset somewhere else, making the overall net emission zero. Whilst carbon zero means that no carbon emissions are being produced from a product service, e.g. E carbon zero electricity could be provided by a 100% renewable energy supplier. It's, it's, it's wrong to sort of tell people these things because they believe it you know we can we're going to build loads of roads we're going to build a third runway and we're going to be carbon neutral and the and the only reason we are carbon neutral is because we ship everything overseas like the plane that takes off doesn't count because it's not you know is it the, is it the country that lands from it takes off from is it country it lands is it the people in the plane's responsibility is it the pilot is it the airline is it you know they just basically push that aside and so it doesn't count you know it doesn't count to the country so you can easily fiddle the figures and and it's still you're still going to be in the same position next i asked mike about what role art can play in getting the message across about climate change and the possibility of changing how society functions the trouble with art for me is I'm still learning what art is and I still and I'm still very judgmental on lots of art because I see lots of art and just think it's crap, you know, and other art I'm sort of revisit and see. I mean, and that was, you know, working with people who are artists, they sort of helped me through that process. But I think, you know, art is a really, yeah, is, is, a, is a brilliant vehicle to sort of get messaging across. I mean, I thought before it was a case of just highlighting information. You just tell people about these things and then they, um, and then they respond to it. But I realise now with the whole fake news thing and confirmation bias that people just decide to change the narrative to suit themselves. But I think, I think the overarching narrative is that people realise that people think it's bad but it's going to be all right. You know, it's sort of, we're going to get there in the end, you know, and there is a lot of people, you know, that thing do you know, people, I don't know, that thing that always gets me is doing the right thing. It's like, I'm not hundred percent sure the right thing is climate scientists don't hundred percent know. It's like, why, why would you assume you know what's, what that is? You know, it's like, because you're believing in the system again. And I think it's like, for me, the system, I don't believe in the system. I believe the system's corrupt. You know, it's like everything you stem, like going back to the consumption thing is like, now we're talking about climate justice, you know, but again, this is, you know, this is re-evaluating re our, 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 our existence on the planet. You know, it's like, it's like the Spanish, the British, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't 
help countries we you know we didn't liberate them we we destroyed them and and we stole from them and and that's coming to light now and it's like a it's a pretty sort of um horrible thing to find out is it? it's almost like finding out your, your your grandfather was a nazi or something it's like it just or you know just it just doesn't rest very well in terms of your belief because Adam Curtis talks about this a lot in Bitter Lake, actually, about this idea of good and evil, where there isn't um, good and bad people. There, there, it's no, there's no evil. You're never fighting evil. You're, you're actually just fighting for, for, um, for your country. And that's actually saying else that um, he's the guy who's written Sa *Sapiens*. Um, he basically refers to the fact that. There's only 120 people you can sort of relate to. Once you go beyond 120 people, you don't. You're not going to fight for them and do anything. But the way you get past that is you, is you, and in the history we've done this in the past is you, you, you have religion, and then you have land. You know, countries. So people will fight for their country, but they won't fight for the 130th person they don't know. Is so, and also the other one is corporations. It says by having corporations we we sort of believe in this non-existent thing like we believe and i think it takes the persia as an example it says if you blow up if you destroy all the cars you still believe in the brand it's it's something that doesn't really exist but you you unite people you know together and but basically this idea of good and evil yeah, so how we can unite the world and stuff is is going well. Things do change. I mean, that's the optimism side of it. Is really, I did this. Um, I did this climate lab in 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 Liverpool with an organisation called Metal, and it was really enlightening. It was great, actually. Um, but it was a little bit sombre, you know. We 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 felt that there was no answers, but that was almost about I don't know a month before Extinction Rebellion, and for me that was true transformation it's like how you could totally change uh, change people's perceptions and even the people who are cynical about it were very much you know a few weeks in were like actually saying this is quite amazing really and i you know there is those shots of um of growth of of optimism around i think and i think there's a there's another guy a, a book i've just read or listened to on on, on a audible is um Rutger Bregman and his uh, his his book's called Humankind and it's and it's changing the perception of how mankind because there's we're always told that they're underneath we're all evil but on the top we pretend to be good and you know given certain different circumstances say like Lord of the Flies that we all turn evil but he found he's, he's rewritten history by examining it and seeing that actually when that does happen people actually turn out to be quite nice you know it's like and it is dominated by old privileged white males dictating these stories and um, and and so but he's often saying that basically um we yeah basically his his whole thing is that we are there's you know we're we're all nice and i we're all nice people deep down but it's like we get distorted with control and consumption of money it's like i mean just this idea of billionaires isn't it it's just like you, you look at that the idea that bill gates can get people to give up like 98 percent of their wealth and they still can live beyond their means it's like if you cannot spend two percent of your earnings and it doesn't matter what you buy a boat plane whatever it's like what is the point of having that money it's like it's just 
it just doesn't ex you know it's 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 that money comes from somebody else do you know what i mean it's like you don't really it's not it's not equal in any way and it's that, that whole idea of earning lots of money and doing this building up this i mean what i'd be interested to know what drives them in a way to do that it's like what wouldn't, wouldn't you just say once you got like you know, if you're an Amazon guy, you go, well, okay, you know, you know what, well, why don't we just put this into shares and just share it between the employees? You know, what, what have you got to gain, really? You've got nothing, have you? It's not like you can spend it. It's just control and, and believing you're superior. And finally, Mike led us into how his ADHD affects his process when producing digital art, like the Nine Earths project. I need... Uh, security I need to okay so and and the worst thing I need is somebody to say oh I must do that thing I'll do that soon I'll do that soon I I need someone to say I'll do that by Tuesday it's done I, or not do it because otherwise I'll do it do you know what I mean it's like I have to know things are done otherwise I start thinking about them thinking about them, and then it, am I and I it's it's the noise it's the noise in my head is like um constantly nagging and I have these lists and I've got hundreds of lists and got things to do i mean everybody has things to do domestic things and stuff like that but i can't i have to clear my head of stuff so at the moment i'm working on nine earths and it's great and i really and and in a way it's like i got this booked in and now this is finished i can move back into nine earths and i'm really you know i'm 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 full of excitement to do it but i know the second i start it might just slow down and sort of get lost in a i'm because some of the in, so I want instant gratification as well, and I think you know some of the process for the design process of of the screen is really time consuming. It takes like days to do, and then you look at it and go, okay, well that's not going to work, and then you sort of move. But I can't. I can visualize really good. But it's like visualizing beyond other visual like the stars. It's almost like visualizing the stars, but what they're on the other side of the planet and and what you can see and I, I know roughly what they look like but I need to actually see it to double check it's like and and that sort of most people can't even see the stars you know but I can I want to dial into some of those details and it frustrates me immensely <laughs> this brings us to the end of this month's podcast please note this recording with Mike Faulkner was made before the critical IPCC report was published and we now could hit 1.5 degrees within the next four years, as reported on the BBC News as Code Red. I'd like to thank Mike for his time. Go to diffuse.com to find out more about Mike's latest project, Nine Earths, a film, an installation and series of talks which has been commissioned for COP26, the United Nations Climate Change Conference due in November 2021. Nine Earths explores the relationship between everyday events and humanity's self-destructive and excessive demand for environmental resources. This is Colin Hambrook saying farewell. Till next time. Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities.